So we're preaching through the book of 1 John, and the heading or sort of general theme is this, we're calling it that you may know, because that's the theme that is predominant in the book itself. John wants you to know that you know or that you don't know Jesus and that you're walking with him. Uh, last week, we entered in upon the concept of being born again or uh, analogous language, other languages that's used, is born of the Spirit, born of God, born of Him. The theological doctrine is, is labeled regeneration. It's making something new. It's being born again. We reviewed the story of Jesus and Nicodemus last week. And just to review with you, and it, I would love to give you a quiz later on this, but um, it, it would be good for you to know that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and then God, by his word and by his spirit, calls us. Uh, we call that an effectual calling. He says, dead sinner, Jesus has been crucified. He's been raised. Live. You see that in John 5. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That effectual calling results in regeneration. What the Old Testament talks about is receiving a new heart and a new mind. And all that is, is, are things that we can't see that are going on in a sinner's life. But then what we see arising from that immediately is faith. That's when somebody raised their hand at the meeting or went down front. God worked by his spirit. And then the, the new believer has faith and repentance. Now, in that, what that means is that everybody who has faith and repentance, that work began by the spirit and then the Spirit must continue that work until they're, until they're dead. So this is where the idea of perseverance of the saints comes in. If you've truly been born of God, it means the Spirit's in you, and you're going to walk with Jesus, of course, with fits and starts and falls and problems, but you're going to walk, walk it out all the way to the end. So there's your little theological primer. And what we said last week is that that gives the person who believes the knowledge that he or she is a child of God and gives them the hope and the joy of looking forward to Christ's return as a day of joy, okay? So that's what you have in regeneration or being born in the Spirit. Now, I had preached on 1 John a bunch of years ago, more than a decade ago, and I never really saw how central uh, this, this notion is to really John's thinking. It starts here in three and goes all the way through the end of the book. Uh, regeneration is really central, and so I'm trying to make it a little more central. So last week we talked about those things, and today we're going to talk about the person who's born of God will of necessity practice righteousness. They will have a turning to do right. Those who are born of God practice righteousness. So if you have your, your worship guide, uh, you can look on page 12, and we're going to read uh, chapter 3. We're going to read all the verses 1 to 10. We covered 1 through 3 last week. I'm rereading it for context. Today we're going to look at verses uh, 4 through 10. But beginning at verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him 
purifies himself as he is pure. That's what we talked about last week, being confident that you're a child of God, looking forward to the return of Christ. Now, this was all of one thought, but we had to divide it up. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who remains in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. A very simple uh, statement from this is that those who are born of God practice righteousness. Now, to establish that and work it out with you, we're going to start and build up to that as our last point. But the first point that you want to understand and really grab hold of us is this, that all of us, each one of us, left to ourselves, practice lawlessness. This is what he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, it seems to me that in this text, what you're having is that uh, there's sin, which is sort of a subcategory of the broader thing of lawlessness. You can, you can be breaking or violating a particular commandment, but you might be off somewhere with a rebellious heart that outwardly we can't really see that you're breaking one of those commandments and you still have lawlessness going on, on with you. I take lawlessness to be a sort of broader category. So this would be like saying, uh, you know, a square is a polygon. You know, it's a true statement that sin is lawlessness, but the polygon is, is bigger in a concept than a square. Now, my, my sort of proof for this is that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, as you know, were absolutely meticulous about the law. They had taken the Ten Commandments and all the other 614 commandments. They've hemmed them in. They put them in a system. And outwardly, they were doing it all. They were doing more than probably anybody in this room. They were fasting twice a week. They were going out in their garden and cutting up their herbs with scissors and weighing them out on a scale and giving 10% of them. And yet, Jesus said to them, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look clean, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Your hearts are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's the same term that's used here. So lawlessness can go fully with a, with a squeaky clean appearing outward life. All right, so the, the, this is this concept. And all of us were born into the world with this. And it just seems obvious and we use this illustration all the time but i think it should be repeated as many times as we need to lawlessness or sin is bound up in the heart of a child and this is one of the, the gross uh, uh, lies that came out of rousseau and others in the last centuries is that people are innately good and it just sweeps through our culture 
But as you know, and I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, I think mostly you, you don't have to teach children to be bad. They're innately lawbreakers and lawless ones. You have to teach them to do the right thing. And so everybody who's had a child knows that as soon as you're physically able to express your rebellion, it comes out. So let's just take, and you know, development happens differently, so don't hold me to the months, all right? But you're just about 18 months old. At about 18 months old, most kids can understand. They know, don't touch the stove. They understand what that means, and you can see it. But they're also now toddling. Most of them are toddling. And so they have the capacity to look you straight in the face after you said, don't touch the stove, and touch it. I mean, and you, you, you have to teach them not to trample on their little brother or sister and jerk away their toy. And you know that nobody is ever satisfied with the toy they have when they see somebody with the other one. All those things have to be, be, be taught and disciplined and, 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 and put into children. And so then when you look out in the broader culture, you just find rampant lawlessness. And, and we, could, we could adduce all kinds of, of, of evidence of lawlessness. It's, it, one of the things that's very interesting to me is that the military is, is sort of, we're raising a whole group of lawless people and then we send you off to the military academy and give you an ethics code on top of lawlessness. And then we find out that half the class cheated on their engineering exam. And we all throw up our hands and go, what's wrong? It, we, we really are flying upside down as a whole society. And, and I think probably there's no place that this is more adamantly defended in what would just be called normally the sexual revolution. And I, I include in that heterosexual sins, pornography, same-sex attractions, homosexuality, um, uh, all across the board. And I would, I would tag on the end of that sort of gender identity. I mean, God has said, this is a, a great and beautiful thing for one man and one woman who are joined together for life. And we've said, we're going to do everything but that. And we're, and we're going to press the, the envelope of it. And if there are any consequences in terms of unwanted children, we'll just exterminate them. I mean, it's, it really is sort of a front-on rebellion. And I, I've tried to do two things here. One is to say lawlessness is really prevalent, and it can be in us, remnants of it in, in us who believe. And it's out there in the culture, and we have to be honest just about what's going on there. And, and one of the things that I want to to emphasize in this is that there is guilt and shame uh, associated with it and it's enslaving. Jesus says that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And the Proverbs say, uh, the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no one's pursuing. So when you have a bad conscience, you're, you're going to want to run from people. And the whole idea behind this, you can actually sear your conscience by repeated assaults on it. So the Bible has two things to say there. Uh, the, the conscience is somewhat inflexible. It's always going to be aggravating you. But if you beat on it long enough, and you see this some in our culture at times, and I won't go into it, is that, that people have just beaten their conscience into submission. And then that's a whole new kind of slavery that goes on there. So... We just want to, to make sure that 
one of the things I would say in this context is that um, Jack Miller has a, a great story in his book, Come Back Barbara, that they missed his daughter Barbara's lawlessness when she was young and didn't really address it because she was an outward conformer. And the illustration that they gave was that you were supposed to brush your teeth at night and, you know, Barbara would show up. This is now, how old are you? Seven or eight years old. And Barbara would show up and say, yes, I brush my teeth. And finally, all the siblings, there were a bunch of siblings in the house, came with a dry toothbrush and said, she's lying. She's telling you that she's doing this, and she's not doing it. And, and that was the time, really, to begin to, to dig in and address those things that manifested themselves later in life. And so there can be, in the born-again person, we, we all have to fight against sin, remnants of our lawlessness, and, and we can't come to a place of just saying, uh, it's okay, I'll live with this. I have, I have a big cow in my living room, but I've just decided that, that, that all the mess and everything with this cow, I'll just let it sit here. Um, the other thing that I want to say is that we, we seem to get really, really confused about what love to people looks like. And brothers and sisters, we want to approach everybody with gentleness and mercy. Uh, everybody who's lawless has also been sinned against and wounded in some ways. And and it's hurting in, in all kinds of ways. So we come at this with gentleness, but, but to, to not have the courage to say, the path you're on leads to slavery, shame, pain, and death. Please turn from that. And to be clear about it, whether that's gender confusion or, or things that seem to be untouchable to us about sexuality, or about, um, and, and that includes our, our heterosexual friends, right? To have the same conversation with people who are cohabiting. It, it's all across the board. All that is a path that leads to death. And to, to not say that is to not love people. And to not say it at least with gentleness and kindness, but to actually communicate that with people. Now that goes with the good news of the gospel, doesn't it? It always goes with the good news of the gospel. And that's really what you see next in this text. So we've said, left to ourselves, uh, we, we're sinners who are lawless. And then the second thing that we want to say is that Jesus has appeared to take away the guilt and power of sin. And you see that in verse 5. You know that he, that is Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him... There is no sin. And you see here, the reason the Son of God appeared was to, just, to destroy the works of the devil. And that's one of the things that comes out in this text is that the background of lawlessness is diabolical. It started in the, God, it started in the garden. Is God really good? Can you really trust him? Will he really take care of you? He just doesn't want you to be wise like him. There's a lie at the root of all this is diabolical and it leads to this lawlessness. And Jesus came to take away sin and to destroy those, those lying works of the devil. And so we typically talk about this both in hymnody, uh, Augustus Toplady, and in theology that Jesus comes to deal with the guilt and the power of sin. So let's just review to make sure that we're all on the same page and we all understand out of love, the Father sent the eternal Son of God to become flesh, who lived a righteous life. That's in this text. He is righteous. 
He fulfilled all the law. He was not a lawless one. And then in mercy, the mercy of the Father, the mercy of the Son, the love of the Father and the Son, Jesus goes to the cross. The sinless one is there, and he is dying to bear the sins, really objectively to bear the sin and the guilt and the punishment of particular people like you and me. And I think sometimes we really gloss over this. It means that sexual immorality in your past, that cheating on your taxes, uh, that, that lying, that whatever it is that would come up, rise up to the level of your conscience right now, that if you're in Christ, if you've trusted him, God has counted that sin, those particular sins, against his son and has executed judgment upon them. And then he was vindicated as a sufficient savior, as the son of God with power by being raised from the dead and ultimately ascended to the right hand of the father. So, so Jesus has come to destroy the devil's works. And that's what he said as he was going to the, the cross. Now is the prince of this world cast down. People don't have to be in a place of lawlessness and sin anymore. They can be completely forgiven and you see here the justification that whoever practices righteousness is righteous. And that's got to be the declaration, the judicial declaration of righteousness that's given to those who believe. So that's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? That, that Jesus has come to crush Satan for those who will simply entrust themselves to him and believe on him to take away the guilt of their sin and actually to remove their sins from them that they would not be condemned for those things. I was reading this, this uh, week about a man from Hampton, Virginia, just probably a six or seven hour drive from here. Uh, he, his name was Lawrence Stevens. And when he was 18 years old, it was in 2001, he was involved with three other men in an armed robbery. Uh, no one was killed. Uh, no shots were fired or anything, but it was still an armed robbery. And he went to trial there in Virginia. And he was, uh, the, the sentencing guideline was 13 years for that crime. Uh, one of the other guys in the group got 10 years. Well, Lawrence Stevens, for whatever reason, I don't know if the judge had a bad day or what, but uh, he, he got a sentence of 1,823 years. That was his judgment. And so he sat in prison in Virginia for 20 years until 2021 when someone looked at this case and submitted his name for pardon. And the governor of Virginia actually gave him a pardon so that he wouldn't have to serve out the 1,823 years. And then I looked at the GoFundMe page of his sister. He was coming from Hampton, Virginia down to Charlotte to, to begin a new life with his sister. And the sister wrote a nice GoFundMe page. She said, you know, my brother's getting out of prison. He's going to emerge from there with no health insurance, no job, uh, no funds, no way to go forward. He's coming to live with us. Will you contribute to helping him begin a new life? And here's the, the reason I'm telling you that story is that here's a picture of a man who's been sitting as his whole adult life in, in a cell. That's all he really knows. He was, in a sense, enslaved to that, who's now pardoned and then put out on the street to live. There's a joyous freedom that's involved in that, 
But now the thing is he's got to build and his sister's trying to help him to build a whole new life. Now there's some sharp discontinuities in that illustration between Lawrence Stevens and us, right? He got what I believe was an unjust sentence. You and I have a just sentence for capital crimes, the sentence of death, the wages of sin is death. He got off really for time served. People said, you know, the governor said he served enough time for this crime. We are, have guilt removed and pardoned based on the death of another Jesus Christ. But we're still put in the position now of living this new free life that has been given to us. And this is where the whole thing about regeneration and being freed from the power of sin comes in. It's Jesus comes to take away sin, not only as guilt, but also it's enslaving power. That's what Jesus said. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, but if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. And that's why regeneration is so important. Because, and that's why it's important to have it in the right order. Because the, the spirit that came when you were called and applied the word of the gospel to your life and gave you a new heart and mind is the spirit that gave you the power to repent and believe. And it's that spirit that won't let you go on in lawlessness. And you see, this, this just settles John MacArthur and Dallas Seminary and all these if you don't know those controversies about salvation by faith and all these kinds of things, th this is the resolution to it. We, we could have uh, simply read to them from our secondary standards in theology and hopefully everybody would have agreed. Because, because what the Westminster Confession says is that faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Your, ju your judicial case is, is settled by faith alone. I'm adding that. And, but this is the second phrase. Yet it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. Why is that a true statement? Why is that good theology? Well, really at the heart of it is, is being born again and being united with Christ by the Spirit. And so you see, this brings us to this conclusion. The lawless ones who believe on Christ who came to take away sins are, are born of God and they can't keep on sinning. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed, the, the, the word that brings life, abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Now apparently there were teachers, he talks about people who are trying to deceive you, who are saying that, that repentance or a new life is not essential to belonging to Christ. And John's just sort of basically going head on against this. So I'm, I'm not trying to uh, pick on gender identity or sexuality today in particular, but uh, it is what has sort of captured our culture these days. And uh, there are lots and lots of stories out there of people who are now detransitioning in great sorrow that they went through the process of trying to change their identity. I read this week, and you can read it in World Magazine, uh, Laura Perry was a young woman, and uh, 
it's important to say that Laura, Laura Perry was sinned against in various ways as a woman from early years, like preteen years, up through teen years, and um, that involved men. And so there's real compassion there. Her response to this, though, is more lawlessness, uh, plunging into to lifestyles that were unbiblical. And then ultimately, uh, with all this confusion and all this sin against her and her own sins swirling around, she decided in her 20s that she was going to be a man. And she went uh, 90% of the way. She did the hormone therapy. Uh, she went and had certain surgical procedures to try to augment things. And she changed her name legally from Laura to Jake and uh, tried to live this way for seven full years. And she said at the end of, of, of seven years, it became clear to her that her problems with herself and her identity had not gone away with these measures, that she was really in the same spot that she was in before, and that she came to the conclusion that she would never be a man after seven years. And um, it was really a part of that, and I'm going back now to the first point about guilt and shame and hiding and the exhaustion of being a slave to lawlessness. Um, she was exhausted with always wondering, did I get away with it? This person who's talking to me, um, did they really think that I was a man? And that, that pressure to perform that way really ate away at her. Well, she came to Christ. People shared the gospel with her. They loved her. They studied the scriptures with her. Um, for everything it looks like, she was born again. She, the Spirit gave her a new heart and a new mind and enabled her to trust in Christ. And so then begins this journey. At first, she said, I'll try to serve Jesus. I'll, be, I'll continue as a man. Look, I've already gone you know, I won't go into it, but, you know, I've already done all this. What am I supposed to do? But as she looked at the Word and as she, um, as she walked with the Spirit, eventually the Lord really convicted her that, that I have to go back to being who God made me to be, that this was a form of lawlessness that I have to lay down. And there's no paradigm, uh, as far as I can tell. There's nobody lecturing her. It was the work of the Spirit through the scriptures in the context of fellowship that, that moved her inexorably away from lawlessness. And that's the whole, the whole point of this, is that those who are born of God have a new direction in life, and, and they're going to be miserable without repentance and faith ongoing in their lives. And so we want to take that in this way to rejoice at being born again. And so if you're here today and that's not you, if you, haven't, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, he's inviting you. He's, there's a general call and effectual call. Uh, he's calling to everyone, turn to me, all you ends of the earth, and be saved. And if you believe that and, and you, you truly uh, entrust yourself to Christ, it means that you've been born from above and that you can be free from slavery to sin. And you, that you can be on a track then away from lawlessness towards a good and beautiful life. Now, everybody who's made that, that transition, that, that change from being dead to being alive, know that this brings you into conflict with sin. 
There's remnants of sin that are left in us. This practicing righteousness means walking in repentance and faith. But it also means the prospect of growing in actual change in the likeness of Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing. And you should go read Laura Perry's story. She has a, a peaceful, joyful, good, and beautiful life now even with all that suffering in the past, testifying about what Christ has done for her. And the one thing that I would want to caution you about when it says, uh, it talks about practicing righteousness, and I actually think this is a good, a good translation here, and I won't go into all the details of that, but, but that's why I use it. This, this new bent of your life to love God and to love other people, uh, you don't want it to be mere externalism. Okay, now, if if there's an opportunity for me to love you practically, John's going to say not with words only, but also with deeds. And I really don't want to do it. I would rather go do a thousand other things. I need to swallow hard and pray, Lord Jesus, help me to do this cheerfully and do it. All right. So we're not. <laughs> you, you want to go ahead and do it. But at the same time, what you want to be cultivating more broadly in your life is a a set of heart attitudes and mind attitudes where the opportunity to love you would be the reflex motion. To prac, do you get what I'm at? To prac, think about this. What are the fruits of this? What are the, what's the fruit of the spirit? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Are you habitually cultivating those things behind your eyeballs and in your heart? To meditate on the gospel, to believe the love of God, to to reject despair and habitual anger, judgment. Think of everything that's contrary to the fruit of the Spirit and say, if people could open up my head and my heart and look inside, and if we could have a little time log that goes through the day, how much of my internal life is spent sort of in in the realm of the fruit of the Spirit, and how much is spent in stuff that's diametrically opposite to that. And see, that's where faith, rejoicing in what Christ has done, hope, believing that the judgment day is going to be kind to me and that I'm going to be with the Father, and love, the love poured out into my heart by the Holy Spirit, produces love for others, joy, and peace. Faith, hope, love love, joy, peace, and all the other fruit of the Spirit. So what, I, what I'm sort of saying is that, that when we think about practicing righteousness, I want to encourage you uh, to, to think about it as practicing an internal landscape that leads more effortlessly to the external actions of love. You with me on that? So one of the ways that can provoke you to do that is (laughs) when you're put in a position of being inconvenienced to love other people, you can measure just how annoyed you are that that took away from your plan. Sometimes I can tell I'm the only sinner. (laughs) I, I, I just... I'm just not getting the knowing vibe from you. But you, want to, you just want to be paying attention to, to when am I annoyed and not thankful 
about the, the circumstances that the Lord has given me. And then that becomes like an opportunity for you to say, God, have mercy on me. Look what Christ has done for me. You have loved me. My life belongs to you. My time belongs to you. Enable me to surrender here with, with joy and peace so that habitually it becomes more of a pattern for you to love God, giving thanks in every circumstances, and to love other people. So that's practicing righteousness starts from the inside and results in, in what comes out of your mouth and is done with your hands. So this is the, the good news for today. And I want you to think about this. Who out there is enslaved apart from Christ? Who out there is enslaved apart from Christ in your orbit that you could begin a conversation with along these lines? And it's really a test for you. Do you believe it's good news? Is it good, is it good news to you? Do you have any joy about it? Well, would we withhold that from, and I'm just, well, I'm thinking of some, one of my relatives right now. Don't I want to call one of my relatives and have a conversation with them along these lines? Just with gentleness? To say, wow, we talked about something today at worship. The beauty and joy of being free from lawlessness through Christ. And just to see where that conversation goes. So this is a summary. Left to ourselves, we're lawless. The good news is that Christ came to destroy the devil's works. He's, he's freed us from the guilt and power of sin. And, and because God, by his sovereign spirit, causes people to be born again, to walk in faith and repentance, we will not go on practicing lawlessness, but we'll practice righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we come to you now, and we want to ask you to write these things in our hearts Lord, uh, for those of us who are older souls who kind of jettisoned um, the doctrine of regeneration just because of songs about bullfrogs and butterflies have been born again, it got sort of tired and unused by us. Will you renew to us the wonder of it all and the joy of it all and that we would have confidence that as we talk about Jesus with people that you can effectually call them, give them new life, and bring them to faith and repentance and the practice of righteousness. Lord, enable us to believe the gospel both for ourselves and for the, our loved ones and the people around us. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.